Thanks for listening to one of our messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in person and online. To find out more about our church or to connect to any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. Good morning, everybody. Thank you. I know I am a very talented dancer. Um, It is real hard to just stand here and not dance when music like that is playing. I don't know how anybody else would do it. Uh, It is, in fact, Christmas time, my friends. There is no denying it. We are way past the Thanksgiving deadline where it's supposed to start. Uh, We're also way past the October, right after Halloween, when my neighbor across the street put their lights up and deeply offended me time. That's just too much. Too much. The right after Halloween thing, I can't get behind it. I cannot put my stamp of approval on it. I'm probably, obviously, the silence proves that I'm wrong and I should be doing it. (laughs) We should just keep them up all year, right? Just all year long, Christmas, just forever. Makes it much more special. Um, I do want to ask the crowd a question. I'm the youth pastor, so I do this a lot downstairs. And so I'm just going to do it again up here. What is the best Christmas song? Just shout it out. Oh, Holy Night is a good one. Mary, did you know is the wrong answer, but it's a good answer. It's a good answer. There was another one over here. What? Joy to the world. You can't get away from that. It's classic. It's beautiful. One over here I heard. Feliz Navidad. Beautiful song. I love it. That is in the top three. Grandma got run over by a reindeer is... Very true. Uh, I was speaking with a friend of mine the other day about how I kind of feel like that song is sort of hinting at maybe that the grandpa actually murdered the the grandmother and framed the reindeer, but I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on that. Uh, Anybody else want to shout one more? I'll take one more suggestion. I heard Frosty the Snowman, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and Chris shouted something I couldn't understand. Not a real song. Uh, I, I hate to tell you guys this, but you are all incorrect. There is a actual and, and factual best Christmas song ever. And none of you mentioned it, which breaks my heart a little bit to know that you're all so deeply just wrong. It's sad. Uh, the correct answer is Tender Tennessee Christmas by Amy Grant. That's the best one. And if you guys don't know that, I feel terrible for you. It is, in fact, the best Christmas song of all time. I would love to sing it for you, but, oh, I've got a sermon. Okay. I danced. I can't dance and sing in the same space. That turns me into something different. Um, No, Tender Tennessee Christmas is my favorite song because my favorite Christmases growing up, were in Tennessee. My grandparents had, uh, they called it a farm, but they didn't really, it wasn't really a farm. It was just a large piece of property with a beautiful house that my grandfather built with his own two hands. Um, And they had a big garden, so they called it a farm. But man, those Christmases were my absolute favorite. Um, You know, today, I'm talking a lot about busyness. That's sort of my, my topic that I was given. Let's talk about how it is the season to be busy. And so, you know, when, 
we started putting the sermon together. Charlie and I both mentioned, like, it's not super easy to get Christmas, like, Advent stuff into this. So this isn't the most Christmassy sermon. I'm going to be circling around a lot of Christmas themes. Um, but I do promise you this. At the very end of this sermon, the last words I will say, and I want to get this right, are, and it all started with a baby in a manger. So it's going to land there, I promise. But uh, we're going to go off on a little trip here in just a little bit. But those Christmases in Tennessee were the best because I'm telling you guys, there was literally nothing to do. And that made it amazing. There was no opportunity for like parents to like duck off for a couple hours and get some work done. There were no recitals to go to. There was no, I mean, when we, when my family gets together in every single, single occasion, we always have to take a family picture and it tends to take more than five minutes and it sometimes takes 30 minutes because one family picture turns into 20. We might've done that. I don't remember even doing that. We probably did one, but that was about it. It was just so slow, so slow. I mean, the TV barely worked, barely worked. Um, there was just nothing to do. The parents sat around and talked, which I thought was insanely ridiculous because there were woods to run around in, there were dogs to throw sticks to, and all they wanted to do was sit and talk about their lives and fall asleep in the recliner, right? Which at this point in my life, I'm like, sign me up all day, right? But man, I can't... I am, I'm also mad at myself because I think I probably wasted time during those Christmases trying to get the TV to work, right? Like banging on the side and moving the little metal antler thingies to try and find some sort of signal so I could watch He-Man, uh, which I wasn't allowed to watch, but I did anyway. My mom is here. She, doesn't, she can't hear me. Um, <laughs> we did nothing, and it was the best, 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 best Christmases that I ever ever had because of how incredibly slow it was. And if I could find a time machine after I go back and buy a bunch of Amazon stock in my name, I would go to that little kid, I would find him, and I would grab him by his chubby little cheeks and say, soak this up, you little punk. Get away from the TV, run outside, climb a tree, break your arm, do something, because this season is going to end. This season is going to stop. And I don't just mean the Christmas season. I mean, in my life, the season where I had time to just do nothing. Many of us would probably say that we are busy. In fact, it's become sort of our common answer now to how are you doing? I'm good, busy, real busy, but good. That's just how we tend, a lot of us tend to identify now is we are busy. And I'm really not here today to tell you that busyness is bad. I'm not here to show you in the scriptures how Jesus says you can't be busy people. And I'm not trying to tell you that we should all move to Tennessee and make our own houses and, and you know, make our own cheese. Although that does sound pretty sweet. And I, I might have to change the point of the sermon to that. But just like eating a, a big meal in itself isn't a sin. Busyness is not bad. It's not wrong to be busy. What I want to talk about today is whether or not we're too busy. You know, one giant meal is good. Ten plates of spaghetti at a, in a sitting is a problem. That's a problem. And I'm wondering 
if that's where some of us are in our busyness, are we gorging ourselves on busyness? And what is that causing? What's happening because of that? Luke 10, 38 to 42, and this is where we're going to kind of ground ourselves as we look for a text to ground ourselves in. Uh, I'm just going to read it to you. As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. You all know where I'm going. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will, be, which will not be taken away from her. All right. So let's start talking about busyness here for a minute. If you're wondering, am I one of those people that's too busy? Let me ask you some questions to help you sort of figure that out. Are you too busy? Do you feel like there isn't enough time for all the activities you want or that you're already committed to? Do you typically feel overwhelmed, swamped, tied up and stressed about your schedule? Do you have difficulty focusing and concentrating? Are you often impatient, irritable? Do you have trouble getting adequate sleep? Do you suffer from mental and physical fatigue? And yes, if your partner is poking you, that means it might be you. I saw a couple pokes happening out there. If these things apply to you, you might not just be busy, you might be too busy. John Mark Comer is a pastor that I'm going to reference a few times in this sermon. Um, he's a pastor out in Portland. He's written a lot of books and a common thread in his emphasis on rest and Sabbath. He wrote a book called Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I know some of uh, the small groups here at Crossroads have gone through it before. Um, and I'm going to reference it a few times during this message because I think the points he makes in that book really kind of cut to the heart of this issue. So here's the first reference to this guy I want to give you. He says, we hear the refrain, I'm great, just busy, so often we assume that pathological busyness is okay. After all, everybody else is busy too, but what if busyness isn't healthy? What if it is an airborne contagion wreaking havoc on our collective soul? Okay, so maybe being busy, too busy, isn't healthy. But if I'm not busy... How can I provide well for my family? How can I give my kids the life they deserve? Is it my sacrifice of being busy worth it for all that busyness can bring me? To help answer these questions, I want to share with you some stuff that I found, some research on these issues and this topic of being over busy to see what it's doing to us. So a Harvard Business School survey of 1,000 professionals found that 94% worked at least 50 hours a week and almost half worked more than 65 hours. It's a lot. So we're working more hours than we used to. So what? Well, in a Salon magazine article on the issue of overwork, the author says 150 years of research proves that long hours at work kill profits, productivity, and employees. And for most of the 20th century, the broad consensus among American business leaders was that working people more than 40 hours a week was, and I quote, stupid wasteful, dangerous, and expensive, and the most telling sign of dangerously incompetent management. That is a harsh analysis of overwork. 
USA Today published a multi-year poll, and this is way back in 2008, to determine how people perceived time in their own busyness. It found that in each consecutive year since 1987, people reported they are busier than the year before. Not surprisingly, women reported being busier than men. And those between ages 30 to 60 were the busiest. When people were asked about what they were sacrificing so they could be busy, 56% said sleep, 52% said recreation, 51 hobbies, 44% said friends, 30% said family. And in 1987, 50% of the people who were polled in this said that they ate at least one family meal every day. And by 2008, that's 14 years ago, 2008, that figure declined to 20%. And do you think in those 14 years that that number's gotten better or worse? I would, I would imagine it's gotten worse. See, this busyness thing isn't, it's not just making us tired. It goes even beyond that. Dr. Susan Coven, who is a, is a doctor at Massachusetts General Hospital in the 2013 Boston Globe column said, in the past few years, I've observed an epidemic of sorts, patient after patient, suffering from the same condition. The symptoms of this include fatigue, irritability, insomnia, anxiety, headaches, heartburn, bowel disturbances, back pain, and weight gain. There are no blood tests or x-rays diagnostic of this condition, and yet it is easy to recognize the condition is excessive busyness. Guys, I'm going to be honest. I cut a lot of stuff. A lot of research that I found I had to drop because I didn't have time. There is so much information out there showing us and, sh and proving to us that excessive busyness is not just causing emotional or, or, or mental issues. It is causing literal physical breakdown of the body. When we allow ourselves to, to live in such an excessive busy life, it can take away life. And that is a scary, scary thought. This, this, this last one is, I couldn't cut this one. It's from, a, this is a non-Christian person talking about this. He says, uh, he's talking about how we now work so much and are so busy that we look at rest and like idleness as a bad thing. That we've now begun to place, you know, shame and judgment on those who take time out to just stop and rest. He says, idleness is not just a vacation and indulgence or a vice. He says, it is indispensable to the brain as vitamin D is to the body and deprived of it. We suffer a mental affliction as disfiguring as rickets. This guy, not a Christian, doesn't know the scripture, has pointed out something so fundamental to the Christian faith that it's truly the very first rule God gave humans after he built them out of dirt. He said, take breaks, rest, Sabbath the first thing he gave us. And ironically, it is the only commandment that we as a society brag about breaking. That we brag about how busy we are, that we worked seven days last week and we have had no time to ourselves. We, we, we mention this as sort of a badge of honor and God's like, you're missing the point. You're missing it. We are missing it. It's funny. Our society is so busy and stressed that we, we often project busyness and stress into places where it doesn't actually belong. For example, when we read the story of Mary and Joseph in the Bible, 
heading to Bethlehem to have their baby. We, we think, and it does not say this in the text. I challenge you to look for it. It doesn't, doesn't happen. That they're, that they're racing to get there because she's like having the baby on the way. And like she's standing there asking, they're asking for a room to stay while she's holding her stomach and just groaning like, it's not there. It just says they had to travel to Bethlehem. And it says that there was no room to be found in the inn. And if you don't know this, Charlie preached on this a few years ago, so you probably have it memorized. I don't even know why I'm telling you. Um, the inn does not mean like a hotel. They didn't check in. They didn't try to check into a hotel. Joseph was from here. He is from the royal lineage of David. Joseph had family. The inn refers to the guest room, which is to say the place where they're staying and already had family in it. And they had to stay in a different room. That room just happened to be the one where they kept animals during the evening. There's no urgency in this story. It's very likely that Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem for two to three months before she had the baby. But how often have we seen stories and even just perceived in our own mind that that story is one of a pregnant, giving birth Mary, showing up to Bethlehem, begging for a place to stay and being shunned out to a manger in a, sto in a, sta in a stable outside. We are so busy and, and full of anxiety and stress that we imagine that it's the same for these guys, but there's nothing there that says it was. You know, even children today, teenagers especially, are overscheduled. A psychology professor at San Diego State says that today's adolescents and teens are overtaxed and overburdened, overburdened and stressed to a degree that was once only seen in child psychiatric patients. And as a youth pastor, I can confirm this. I have seen this epidemic of busyness among teenagers grow and grow and grow, even in my own tenure as a youth pastor. I've seen it. I mean, these kids... Imagine a high schooler schedule. Many of you can because you have them. They, they leave for school by 7.30 or earlier. They have classes all day until four. That's eight and a half hours. They have, often have extracurricular activities. And let me just tell you, if they have band, that means they're usually not home until eight in the evening. That's a 12-hour day, five days a week, months at a time for a 16-year-old kid. That is too much. That is over busyness. What about our spiritual health? Surely this busyness can't really be a problem for that, right? Michael Zigarelli from the Charleston Southern University School of Business conducted the Obstacles to Growth Survey of over 20,000 Christians across the globe and identified busyness as the single largest distraction from spiritual life. He says this, it may be the case that Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry and overload, and then the cycle begins again. Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish Christian philosopher in the early 1800s, said this, of all ridiculous things, the most ridiculous seems to me to be busy. 
to be a man who is brisk about his food and his work, what, I wonder, do these busy folks get done? I think that David in Psalm 39 has a similar idea about it. He says, Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. I think Kierkegaard and David are making the same point, which is that all this busyness that we have allowed ourselves to fall into, what does it really accomplish? What good is really coming from it? More money, bigger house, better job. David's son Solomon would say vanity, chasing after the wind. The real question that I want to dig into today is, 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 he, is any of this busyness bringing us closer to God? Is any of this busyness heaping up for ourselves treasures in heaven? I think that's the point Jesus was making to Martha in Luke 10. Is any of this busyness bringing me closer to the feet of Jesus or all the true joy, happiness, contentment, and satisfaction in life can actually be found? You know, he says, he says to, to Martha that there's just this one thing that really matters. He doesn't say what it is because he's Jesus and he's cool like that. But I want to think about what this one thing really is. Because Christmas season, which is where we are, is an incredibly busy time, beyond our regular busyness. And if we aren't careful, that busyness can really block out the goodness of this particular season. Comer says this, he says, The solution to an over-busy life is not more time. It's to slow down and simplify our lives around what really matters. And I want to encourage you that the Christmas season might just be the perfect time to do just that. We have to be able to find times to interrupt this busyness. Because in the middle of the busyness, we can really miss the better that's out there. While Martha is working, working, and working, she's missing an opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus. To a certain extent, a lot of this busyness, and here's the biggest problem about this all, a lot of this busyness, just we, it can't go away. It's there. It just is. It has woven itself so deeply into our society that we can't just walk out of here and say, okay, I'm just going to stop being busy. We, we can't do that. That's not, the, that's not what I'm saying. It is so throughout our culture, and it's so deep in that we just can't quit. So how do we find the better inside the busy that we might be missing. I want to share a little story about something that happened just this morning. My, my wife and I, we are very busy, maybe too busy, right? And this evening, we were supposed to have our small group families over to our house, right? Last night, we had my sister's family over to our house, and they have two very small kids, and they managed to break things. And they managed to climb up on a desk and pull down an entire shelf that had a lot of things on it. Thankfully, no one was hurt, but it's a mess. And for some reason, our laundry, our, our washing machine decided not to work today. And we had a bunch of laundry that needed to get done, and it just couldn't happen. And so my wife did a wonderful thing. To be honest, that she wouldn't normally do. And I think wonder if she did it because she knew I was talking about this this morning, and she wanted preemptively to make the right choice. She asked if the small group leaders, if we could reschedule or we could change it to another time. And she was nervous about it because she felt like she was going to let them down. 
Um, she's got that pressure of being the wife of a youth pastor who's supposed to just have it all together. And everybody joined in and said, absolutely, we'll fix it. We'll make it a different place. And we found another place, and now it's gone. That, that, that feeling and burden of busyness and stress was lifted off her shoulders because she made the choice to say, I can't do this. I need help. And so I think one of the ways that we can remember in this busyness that we can lean on others, that we don't actually have to do it all by ourselves, and that there's really no great pride to be found in saying, I did this alone. You know, even my grandfather, who, who prided, prided himself a lot in the fact that he built that house himself, he didn't actually do it all. He didn't dig the basement. He didn't have a giant backhoe to dig that. He didn't do the framing. That was dangerous. He'd let people who really know what they were doing do all those things. He didn't do the plumbing. Like, he knew what he needed to, to let other people do. And I think that is the mark of someone that is really trying to leave over busyness behind is saying, I'm not going to do it all. I'm going to let those around me who love me help me. That's not always easy. Really, what I think it boils down to is also just this concept of being intentional. And we, we use that word a lot in church. We use that word a lot. Intentional discipleship, we say those things a lot. And I think when we're talking about how to not be so busy, we are going to have to intentionally say to ourselves, I don't want to be so busy. I want to make it better. And, it, and again, it doesn't necessarily mean cutting things out. You're not going to walk out of here today and say, okay, so we're not going to go see my parents at Christmas because that would make us too busy. We're not going to take our kids to the Nutcracker recital because it's just too busy. I don't feel like doing it. That's not what it is. It is about finding the better inside the busy, being intentional about what we're doing while we're doing it. I want to start with some basics, right? Do you daily take time to be quiet, to pray, and dwell on Scripture. Because I'll be honest, this is the thing that busyness is attacking the hardest. Walter Adams, who was the spiritual director to C.S. Lewis, said this. He said, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer and only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Corey Ten Boom, author of The Hiding Place, she said, if the devil can't make you busy, or sorry, I just spoiled the whole line. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Our enemy wants us as busy as he can possibly get us because that busyness gets in the way of slowing down and sitting at the feet of Jesus. Comer says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. That's not what we're up against. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. I heard that and I, I got this image of the difference. And this is, this is a you know, it's an analogy. I don't hate jet skis, which we'll get to in just a second. Made me think of the difference between a scuba diver and a guy on a jet ski, okay? Both of them are exploring the ocean, but in very, very different ways. 
You know, when we, Rachel and I got married um, a long time ago, the pastor that, that married us, he took us through premarital counseling. One of the stories he told us, and I have, and at that time, I had absolutely no idea what it had to do with, except for the fact that it was cool. He told us that he and his wife would often scuba dive together. And there was one time they were just, they were under the, you know, in the ocean, swimming along. And all of a sudden, they looked to their left and they looked to the right. And there were just two sharks swimming right next to them. Just hanging out. Seemed to have no malicious intent, did not have any desire to do anything to them except just swim next to them, lasted about 30 seconds, and then they both just, the sharks just swam away and they just kept going. And I think to myself, the only way that could ever possibly happen, such an amazing experience and interaction with God's creation is if they were slow enough to really be there. Because someone on a jet ski is never going to have that experience. They're just going to skim across the ocean, do cool jumps off the waves, and that's about it. But a scuba diver gets to interact with that amazing place. They get, to un they get to turn over rocks. They get to see weird fish. They get to discover things they've never seen before. A guy on a jet ski is just skimming across the surface, blowing past all the goodness below. Now, again, I'm not anti-jet ski. They're cool. It's just for the sake of the analogy. Do we want to be a scuba diver in the sea of our faith? Or do we want to just scoot along the top? Just bounce along the waves and miss all the stuff that's below us. Because guys, I think what this, all these quotes that I read to you, all of them are to really help us understand that if we don't make intentional choices about our busyness, that's where we're going to be. Just skimming along the surface of our faith, missing out, accepting the mediocre, mediocre version of what busyness allows us to have. Jesus said this, Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is there any better message for us busy folk to hear? He does not start by saying, you people are too busy. You need to stop. You need to stop what you're doing and just listen to me. He doesn't even bother with the scolding. He just says, come to me. What he says to Martha is, come sit down. My feet are here. You can sit at them. You can listen to me. You can listen to what I have to say. I am gentle and lowly in heart. I'm not going to tell you all the things that you've done wrong. I just want you to sit with me. I want you to stop and take in what I have for you. Comer says, an easy life isn't an option, but an easy yoke is. I think we will all find ourselves in a season during this time where busyness seems to be uncontrollable, daunting, and dominant. But if inside that busyness, my friends, if inside that busyness we can carve out time to sit at the feet of Jesus, we can take on that easy yoke offered to us by him. Jesus doesn't tell Martha, stop cooking, don't do dishes. What he's saying is that can wait. It can wait. I'm here. Come sit with me. He is gentle and he has rest for us. 
He doesn't just have a better way. He has the absolute best way. And it looks a lot slower. It looks like times where we are more present with him and the people around us. We're less concerned with what's urgent and more focused on what's important. I think this is my last Comer quote. It is. The end isn't silence and solitude. It's to come back to God and our true selves. It isn't Sabbath. It's a restful, grateful life of ease, appreciation, wonder, and worship. It isn't simplicity. It's freedom and focus on what matters most. It isn't even slowing. It's to be present to God, to people, and to the moment. You know, those Christmases in Tennessee were truly magical. And when I look back at them now, they seem like they were happening on some other reality, in some other world that doesn't exist anymore. And honestly, guys, in a way, they kind of were. Those Christmases happened in a time when the internet didn't exist. Those Christmases happened in a time where we did not have a constant source of distraction in our pockets 24 hours a day. They happened in a time where parents, when they took off work, they took off work because there was no way to go back to work if you weren't at work. They really did happen in this otherworldly time that no longer exists here in our present reality. And I think about that and I think, I wonder if that's how Adam and Eve must have felt a few decades removed from the garden how it must have seemed like a lifetime ago that they were able to live in this slow, peaceful life, walking with God in the garden that he built for them. I wonder if beyond the obvious of wishing they could go back and make different choices, I wonder if they wished they could just go back and hold each other by the face and say, soak this up. Enjoy this time because it's going away. You know, God has made a way for us to get back to that slowness, that presence, those intentional God-curated moments with him and his creation. We don't have to wait for him to return. I'm not talking Rev 21. I'm talking now. We can start living that life now. It'll look different. We cannot expect it to be the same as it was in 1950, 1960, 1970, 1980, or Garden of Eden times. It won't look the same, but it's still available. A life where we are slower, where in our busyness we make intentional moments to sit at the feet of Jesus. And because of that, we continue to find joy. We continue to find contentment. We continue to find satisfaction, even when There's 50 dishes to do and nobody helps you. Because of what Jesus did for us, the example he left for us in the scriptures, the power that the Holy Spirit has in our lives, we have access to that slow, Christ-centered life he offers us where he says, come all who are weary and I will give you rest. That exists, it is possible you can find it. And I'd love to sit here and tell you, here are the three steps to finding the Christ-centered slow life, but I don't have them. They're all different for every single person. But if you can figure out how to carve out that time through your busy life to sit at the feet of Jesus, 
as often as you can, despite the busyness that surrounds us, you will find yourselves filled with that contentment and joy that can only come at the feet of Jesus. And the really cool thing is, it all started with a baby in a manger. Let me pray. God, you're good, beautiful, wonderful, and you have given us a life where we can make choices. You don't force upon us what needs to happen. You lead us, you guide us, you point to things and say, this is your best good. So God, this morning, amplify the sound of your voice in our minds and in our hearts that says, this is where I want you. Highlight those things around us that are, that are good and beautiful and worth pursuing. Help us to, to ignore the urgent and listen to the important. God, ultimately help us to find our spot at the feet of Jesus every single day. I ask all this in your wonderful, beautiful name.